Welcome to the Westland Free Methodist Church podcast, where we're uniting with Jesus to restore lives to joy-filled wholeness. If this is your first time to join us or your 10th time, we're glad to have you. If you believe in Jesus or you don't, we're excited you're joining us. If you're living into joy-filled wholeness or you're not, this is the place for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast this week. Today, we're going to jump right in. Um, Our main focus, uh, we tend to talk about testimonies, living missionally, missional moments, um, a weekly word, and then sometimes tools or Q&A opportunities. Uh, Today, I I just feel like the Holy Spirit's wanting me to talk a little bit about um, God and suffering. This is going to be some weekly word type stuff. We dive into scripture a little bit. It's also going to come as a tool to help you engage people with the gospel, mobilizing you for the mission. So again, this is kind of a a mixed bag, putting all of these together in one, because if you know how to articulate and you can relate to God and suffering, most people can. Everyone's been through some kind of junk, some worse than others. Some have been through a lot more pain and suffering. But if you can actually articulate how God relates to suffering in some way, shape, or form, as much as possible in this life, it can give you opportunity to share, well, this is the God who I worship and I know to be true, not the one the way it's been perceived or portrayed uh, in other Christian circles or something like that. So, uh, again, a tool to help you in your walk with Jesus. Uh, to help mobilize you in conversations with everyday life, people who go through junk, or non-Christians in particular, and just getting in the Word. So the main way we're going to do that today is, big picture, we'll eventually get into chunks of Job, uh, and we'll talk some about the book of Exodus, um, look in some detail at some of those things. But we start by, if we're talking about suffering and God, One of the most important things uh, I find value to, and I think everyone should do, is we ask, we tend to ask in the body of Christ or even others about Christians, well, how do you deal with God and suffering? And my initial response is, I'm fine talking to you about that, but we also have to recognize if there's suffering, every other religion needs to answer how they deal with suffering as well. So I'm going to give a short analysis, very short, roughly, of how different religions handle suffering. And then after we do that, we'll look at more in detail how does Christian, the Christian God, and who we worship as Jesus, how does he handle suffering? and How does that relate? Um, And really how it's even, we have a leg up in understanding a suffering in relation to God versus many other religions. But here's my thoughts. Um, There's different proposed answers to pain and suffering. We'll look at Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam in very little detail. Existentialism, uh, even Darwinian evolution, science, Scientology type stuff. Uh, But first we start with Hinduism. And Hinduism, ultimately you get to a place where they claim that all evil and suffering are an illusion. You need to get beyond this world. I don't know about you, that's not a very satisfactory answer to me when I've lost a loved one, or when my mom gets cancer, or my mother-in-law gets cancer. These things have happened in my life. Or when my best friend dies of cancer. Um, 
yes, if you aren't aware, maybe to different levels, but I've been through suffering too. Everyone has. Um, we all struggle with this. But the idea that these people I'm closest to, really, that's an illusion. They aren't real. Um, or I need to just get beyond the physical of the world. That's kind of where Hinduism lands. Uh, now, Buddhism acknowledges that all existence, everything around us is suffering. And the reason we suffer is ultimately because of our desires. If we just don't desire anything, we have no love, no passions at all, then what happens? If someone dies, you know, we don't love them, so there's no suffering in it. Uh, which, if we would cease to desire, then we would cease to suffer. So they want to get to a place where they're so minimal that they have no care about anyone or anything, even their own bodies. Again, not the most satisfactory answer for me, uh, but that's how you ultimately enter nirvana for people in Buddhism. And so that, that's how they deal with suffering. Uh, Islam is, for some, makes the most sense, but essentially for them, their simple explanation, all suffering is the will of Allah, period. Everything that happens is the will of God. Uh, and I, as a side note, that is big picture, not we what we in Christianity claim. And we're going to get there in a minute. Uh, but ultimately, in Islam, you submit to everything and anything that happens to you or to the people around you. It is the will of God. Don't question it. Not something that I'm also satisfied with. So uh, we get to existentialism. Uh, that's essentially the idea that life is absurd. Everything around you is, this is stupid, you know. Just live authentically. Live as you want to live. Because ultimately life is meaningless. When you die, you're done. You're done. That doesn't breed hope. It doesn't breed any real life. It's not something, a philosophy that I would even see as anything that makes sense with the world around me. But if you want to dismiss everything else, you say, well, just live as I want. When you die, I don't have relate. I'm not going to see anyone after this life. Um, have the attachments I can have in the physical and then done, whatever. That's why people talk about the existential crisis, if you will. And then uh, Darwinian evolution and type of science, well, you may have heard this, but not thought of it in relation to suffering. Uh, we live by the law of the jungle. Dog eat dog. So if suffering is happening or people are dying, well, that's just the way that we went, we went to, we were meant to be. Those people, they weren't able to sustain their, uh, the way evolution created them. The strong survive, the weak die. That's ultimately at its root what science says uh, on some level, and particularly Darwinian science and the idea of evolution. Uh, we're not going to get into evolution conversation. That can be for another day. Um, but at its roots, that's where we find ourselves there. Those are a lot of the big picture ideas and how other belief systems, religions, major ones deal with suffering. Now, Christianity is in a unique place because it is, you could argue, more difficult for us because we assert that we have a good God 
all-loving God who is also all-powerful. Um, you don't have that in Buddhism, Hinduism. Islam doesn't assert that God is loving and ultimately good or holy or any of that. So, so Christianity does have a unique thing to say, well, we do believe in a holy, loving, good God. And suffering still happens. And if that's, and if God is all-powerful, because to be God, you have to be all-powerful, uh, then how does bad stuff happen? So you have this visual, logically speaking, of, okay, God is all-powerful, exhibit A, right? And over here, God is good. Well, if he's all-powerful and he's good, then he could make it to where bad doesn't happen in this world. But since bad happens, one of these can't be true. That's what people try to tell you. Many atheists have gone down this train of thought, and that's where they land, and they're going, I can't, well, to be God, he must be all-powerful, so, well, he must not be good, in which case he can't be the Christian God. Or, just, he's not, God doesn't even exist. There's no all-powerful or good God. There is an alternative to this, but it gets into the nuance. God is all-powerful, and if he's all-powerful, one of the greatest analogies for this I love is the idea of a game of Monopoly, right? In Monopoly, if I'm rolling the dice, say I'm playing against God, he can choose to make the dice land where he wants to, on whatever numbers he wants. He can choose to know where they're going to land, but not force them to land exactly how he wants. He can choose in his power to not know To be all-powerful, he has to have those options. And he can choose to let me roll and give me some power in that, right? There's a lot of layers to that. So for God to be all-powerful, in the Wesleyan-Arminian tradition, we talk about free choice that people have. And to give truly free choice means at times God is giving over some of his power He has the power to do that, to say, you know what, I want to give people some freedom here. And in doing it, may allow for suffering to happen because of the things that people bring into this world, because of the diseases that we bring into this world, the places we choose to live which cause things to happen to us, the car accidents, the cars we choose to make and drive, and so many many different tangents to that. Freedom of choice brings about a ton of suffering. But in God's all-powerful nature, part of that power is to give us choice because he wants relationship with us. He's not just good and loving. To be loving, he wants to have that love in return. He wants to give us an option to experience true love. Without free choice, you can't actually have true love, free love. Otherwise, it's manufactured. We're robots, if you will. Now we're going to get into the book of Job a little bit. This kind of gives you the general idea of a Christian understanding of God. God is good, and he's all-powerful. But to be all-powerful, he gives us freedom. And in doing that, and for thousands of years, humans with that freedom have brought any number of sufferings and pains into the world, and we choose to live where we do and create things that we do that bring more suffering and pain Many of those things are good, but the byproducts can be suffering and pain, and the world is affected by our choices. Has been. This is not new to anyone. 
Science agrees with that. The world is affected by our choices. Christianity, majority of other religions would agree with you. The world around us, the physical world, is affected by humans. So those free choices cause numerous other things around us, which sometimes bring more and more suffering. Now, another thing to bring up before we jump right into Job a little bit. When I'm talking to people in the world, this is part of that mobilize for the mission, just a practical tool. Before I get into the logic of it all, if someone's asking me about what it looks like to, for you to be a Christian and believe God is good, but how does that deal with the fact that my sister you know, died or my dad was killed or how could God allow that? One of the best things that I've found to tell people, and it's true for me, so you know what, we can get into the nuances and the theology and the arguments, debates and scriptural understanding of God and theology. But at the core of what I believe as a follower of Jesus, I have a God who takes on flesh in Jesus and suffers with me. Dies on the cross, documented in other non-Christian texts. Chooses to come in the flesh, take on suffering, pain, not just physical pain, you, we can know through a whole lot of different things that Jesus at some point, while he was still on the earth in his earthly ministry, at some point his earthly father Joseph died and he had to grieve the loss of his earthly father. We see him crying when he grieves the loss of Lazarus, even though he raises Lazarus from the dead at one point, right? And we have a God that in Revelation, it actually says eventually Jesus at the end of it all, we'll wipe our tears away. He'll be the one who cries. He's crying with us. He's suffered with us. But he wipes our tears away. And that tells me a lot about my Jesus. I don't have to get into the theology of it as much with people when it comes to sharing with non-Christians to say, at least in what I know to be true, and what I've studied and experienced in my own depths in my heart and my soul and God freeing me. A big part of that is Jesus meeting me in my suffering. God who comes into my suffering doesn't stay at a distance or doesn't uh, belittle it or push it off to the side as if it doesn't exist or that oh, I'm just too attached like other religions do. So that's a practical tool in regards to mobilizing and having a conversation with people around suffering. Point to Jesus the middle of what we believe and know to be true is a suffering God who chooses to suffer because he knows what we've been through. And in his choosing to suffer, eventually we'll be free of suffering. That's a gift for followers of Jesus and for anyone who wants it. Now we'll look at Job for a minute. In the Old Testament, um, the major belief about suffering was that if you suffered, that means that you did something to displease God. And Job is one of the earliest books of the whole Bible, for the record. The Bible is not given to us in chronological order. So we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. It doesn't mean those books all came before Job. Job is actually one of the earliest books we have. And the setting of the characters in Job is the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
middle of Genesis. So it's one of the oldest stories, oldest books we have. That's a significant thing. Because that means right at the beginning, God wanted us to have a book and stories passed down about people suffering because it's a reality as a follower of God. It's going to happen. Jesus tells us that in the Gospels. Woe in this life, you will have troubles. But thank God, I have overcome the world, Jesus said. In this world, you will have troubles. Jesus affirms the same thing that Job, being one of the earliest books in the Bible, tells us. Even when you're a righteous person, even when you're a good person, Job is articulated as righteous and good, and bad stuff, suffering still happens. Now, the person writing the book of Job did not know anything. The majority of the Old Testament doesn't know anything about Satan or another evil character, if you will, at play. We get a lot of that understanding from the New Testament and the life of Jesus. So when we're reading Job, we have to realize the author and the readers of the Old Testament as it was passed down, they would have understood one major thing, the number one commandment of the Ten Commandments. There is one God, there is no other God before him. Period. End of story. So for them to believe in one God, our all-powerful, no one else is even on the same level playing field, not even close. To believe in that, they believed God caused the evil and the good. That's what they believed in the Old Testament. And we don't get a greater glimpse of that really to the New Testament that there's another person at play, another character that's trying to disrupt uh, the plans in the heart of God, who is not as powerful. And so the book of Job in many ways is reconciling a little bit right off the bat. It comes up with, it's, it's not a name. When we read Satan there, it's the Satan. It means the accuser, the adversary. The author's writing that there's someone else who has to have permission from God ultimately to cause this suffering and evil. But God has to be above him because God's the only God. So Job introduces a potential character that we don't get unpacked until the New Testament. But we know because we're reading it thousands of years later and through the eyes of Jesus and the New Testament, Satan is real. And there is another character causing evil and distorting the things of God in this world. The New Testament is what helps us actually see the serpent in Genesis is Satan. The Old Testament never tells us that. So we have the ideas and the understanding through the lens of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that, wait, wait, wait. In the Old Testament, they just thought God caused everything because he's the only God. And we realize God could have told Job when he responds after Job goes through all this suffering, loses his family, his health, everyone, everything, his wealth. And God shows up, which is also a significant thing. Even in the midst of his pain and suffering, one of the earliest books in the Bible, what happens? God shows up and meets Job in the suffering and pain. We have a God who will still show up and meet us in all the junk. Don't always get the answers we want, but he'll meet us there. God could have said, hey, Job, Satan, the accuser, was bringing this on you. But God didn't want to put Satan into the picture yet because he wanted to re Job to realize how much bigger he is. If he had put Satan on the picture, you'd have to wonder if Job would have wrestled with, oh, is this Satan as strong as God? Is he not? 
the Israelites knew there's only one God. So those are some different insights we get from the book of Job. A final thing that I think is very important in unpacking and understanding is ultimately one of the main reasons the book of Job is written. Everyone, all of Job's friends in the middle, they believe suffering, if it happening is happening to you, then you've done something to displease God. God is bringing on you because of something you've done, and you've got to figure it out. It's called retribution theology. Job, on the other hand, the actual person Job, and then God, when he shows up, essentially affirmed throughout the book, that is not true. So the logical argument is God is just, suffering is happening, and so what they would say is, well, then you've done something to deserve it. Alternatively, Job says, yes, God is just. I am suffering. So Job sometimes begins to question, is God really just? You see that a little bit. He wants to to approach God. God, show up. Defend yourself. Defend your justice. He gets a little harsh at times. And by the end, God says, yeah, I am just. And suffering happens. And Job didn't do anything wrong. So there's a mystery to it. So there's something else at play. And we don't get the full answer in Job. That's where we get the New Testament and the things we've talked about up to this point. Uh, But the reality is the book is very much written as one of the earliest texts we have to show us, hey, suffering happens even to good people. It's not because you've done anything to deserve it. And to give us a little glimpse that there's something else at play that we get fulfilled in Jesus and others. That There are demons. There is an enemy seeking to destroy. And Jesus is way more powerful. He takes on suffering. He weeps with us. He wipes our tears away. And in the midst of the things of life, He walks with us, which brings us to our conclusion today. God, throughout Scripture, there are times when He draws people into places where suffering ends up taking place. You see that when He calls Abraham to leave the land and head uh, to give him Canaan, right? And then there's famine there, but God's with him, and God helps him. After crossing the Jericho, the Israelites eventually... You know, they've got to get to, uh, did I say crossing the Jericho? Crossing the Jordan River. They have to deal with the city of Jericho. They walk a wall, but God's with them. He gives them provision. Jesus comes down off the Mount of Transfiguration with his disciples. This cool God moment with three of his disciples. And then they encounter a demon-possessed boy. God leads them there. Jesus himself When he's baptized, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness where he's tempted. And he doesn't eat for days on end. This is a true picture throughout the Old and New Testament. That there are times when God may lead you to a place where suffering takes place. Not because you've done anything wrong. Not because you're not righteous. 
Sometimes it's because suffering happens, evils in the world. But I think the big picture truth in all those things is God is present with you in it all. And he wants to walk with you in it. He wants you to know, hey, I've suffered. I've been there and I'm with you. This will not last forever. There will be a redemption of the world to a place with no suffering someday. That's where as Christians, we have a hope that no other religion can offer that only comes in Jesus. Hope this has been helpful for you. Uh, trying to do a big overview, uh, roughly, of understanding suffering in God. But more than any, anything, if you just know that God takes on flesh, He takes on suffering and pain because He loves you, that's a God that I want to follow to the ends of the earth. We'll see you next time. Here at Westland Free Methodist Church, we are led by the Spirit, rooted in the Word, mobilized for the mission, committed to our neighbors, and bonded through holy friendship. If you have questions about Jesus or our community of faith, feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to get in touch with you. For everyone else here, we reiterate the same thing that Jesus told his disciples. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, this world needs you. You are sent.